Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast where we talk about anything and everything family law related. Okay, well thanks very much for joining us today for another episode of Split Happens, Divorce Down Under. My name's Alex and I'm sitting with a colleague of mine, Liza, and today we're going to talk about one of the most important topics that we ever come across in family law, which is what happens with the kids. Specifically, we're going to talk about where the kids live after the divorce or the separation. So, Liza, these are sometimes referred to as relocation cases where one parent wants to move away with the children and what attitude the other person has and then what do the courts decide. So, relocation cases, where do we go? I guess we start with um, looking at it from the perspective of the person who wants to relocate um, and we can also look at it from the perspective of the person who doesn't want the relocation. So maybe we start with the person who wants to relocate. Okay, and why might somebody want to move away with the kids after a separation? Well, in a lot of cases you've got one of the parents who has been um, through a traumatic experience, usually the divorce process, they're, they may be lacking some friendships, they may be lacking family support, they may be lacking employment opportunities. Um, these are just some of the reasons why the children or the, the mother would want to, re- or the father would want to relocate with the child yeah. after separation. And I, I, Obviously it's a, it's a fairly hot topic at the moment as well, you know, domestic and family violence. And um, from my readings of this subject, there's a lot of people that sometimes have to move away and they have to do it in circumstances of great urgency if there are worries or about safety and things like that. So are those some of the cases we might be talking about for relocation? Definitely. Um, there's, a, there's a safety issue is always um, one of the biggest reasons that people want to move away, but that's quite difficult if you've already got some parenting orders in place. Yeah. So people have to be mindful of those things. Yeah, and look... I. I'm aware. I mean, we're both practicing family lawyers, so I, I know that the courts have pronounced in several occasions, I think B&B was one of the famous cases, that there really is no such thing as a relocation case as far as the courts define it. But in all practical terms, it's a the relocation issue is at the heart of some of the problems that we have and you and I deal day-to-day with parents that either want to move away with the children or they want their children to stay nearby them and want the other parent to remain close. What sort of considerations is a court going to have if you haven't got orders, say? I mean, what should you do if you're desperate to move away, you haven't got any support? The first thing that everyone has to be conscious of is what's in the best interest of the child. So that can be um, looked at from many different perspectives, not just the person who wants to move away. When you're moving away, you're denying the right of that child to have a meaningful relationship with the other party. So... One of the very first considerations is what's that going to look like for that child? Safety issues aside, you could be thinking of things like, well, how can that relationship continue? How is it actually going to work? And so that is where um, if you're looking to relocate, you're going to have to come up with some kind of solution. You can't just simply say, oh, well, I don't have a job and I don't have any family support and therefore... This is what's right for me and therefore it's going to be right for the child. Mm. That's not always going to be the case. So you're going to have to come up with some sort of situation or scenario, some plan or proposal that you can put to the other party 
and work out exactly what it is that is going to work for your particular family and your particular um, situation. It may be that the other party is a fly-in, fly-out worker and there might be some um, some room for movement. There may be some flexibility in employment opportunities for the other person which may make it be able to be workable. But there's a number of things that... The, these are all the things that the courts will consider when looking at a, a relocation parenting application. Yeah, though the listeners can't see me nodding away here, but you said something at the start of that, which is really helpful, um, about the meaningful relationship between a child and a parent. Now, that is one of the most important considerations that a court must have under the Family Law Act about determining where the best interests of a child lie, that what is the meaningful relationship. Now, that's obviously different in every context. You know, Meaningful doesn't necessarily mean extensive time. It could mean a qualitative approach rather than quantity. So, you know, it's about the nature of the, of the relationship rather than the extent of time. So if somebody finds himself, as you said, without a support network, they are, uh, they're adrift, they're on their own, they've, they've got the separation has happened, they've got the care of the child, perhaps it's the primary care of a young child or children, the other parent might not be very keen on them going. Let's say that person just up sticks and goes, they move away. And then they tell the other parent, there are no courts involved at this stage. What, what do we do when we encounter that? What would be some good advice for the parent who has gone already? And maybe we could then talk about what happens to the other person. What should they do about trying to reconnect? Well, if the person has already gone um, often, um, it's best to lay low. That's the that's the reality. <laughs> that's not the legal advice, folks. That's no, the no, no, we, we should preface all of this as say, saying there is no legal advice given in this. We are talking about general legal information and, and an array of different cases, nobody specific. Um, that's that's because, just for all you lawyers out there. Because um, in reality, if there are no orders in place, then um, the, that party who wants to relocate can probably get away with doing it. The unfortunate thing is, though, is to remember is that you are denying your child that right to have meaningful time with the other parent. Mm. And the courts don't look too favourably on that because at some point in time, the other party's going to find out that you've gone and they're going to probably make their own application to the court, either for a recovery order or parenting orders of their own. Sometimes it's better on to get better to get on the front foot and actually um, apply for a parenting order yourself um, and that can sometimes take the sting out of any complaints that the other party may have. If you've just said, look, this is what I've done, I've done it because it's urgent, because it was out of necessity, I was desperate, um, please forgive me, but this is the best thing for my, myself and my family and my child in particular, and this is what needs to happen. And then the, you may get a little bit more sympathy from the courts. You, you mentioned then, please forgive me, and... That reminds me of um, a, a fairly tedious um, conference that I went to several years ago in which the only thing that was really of any interest, I mean, you can imagine a conference hall filled with lawyers, it's not going to be the most scintillating experience, but there was that conversation that was had around relocating with children and should you seek permission before you go or should you seek forgiveness afterwards? Now, the, the proper approaches to seek permission before you go that's the perceived to be the proper approach but it's not always practical and so the please forgive me I've had to do these things and having again come back to best interest of the child at the heart of all of that so providing that you are able to 
explain both to the other parent and to the court with you know with some cogency, with some logic behind it that this isn't just you moving away and being capricious and trying to cut the other person away, but this is because the children need this as well. They need this new environment. So seeking forgiveness might sometimes be the better option. So you make your move first, and then you get some context around that, and then you seek forgiveness and parenting orders, as you say, which this is normal day-to-day language to to us, but you know, maybe you could tell me what a parenting order is as if I hadn't been writing one earlier today. Well, that's where the parenting arrangements that you've got in place or that you want to have in place are formalised into a document that's been approved by a court. So that could be after a contested hearing or it could be uh, by a consent order. Um, that the Sorry, what's a consent order to the uninitiated? Okay, so a consent order is simply a document that both parties have agreed to. They've both signed it, which sets out where the child's to live and how the, um, who's going to have responsibility for the child. And do I have um, to go to court to get a consent order? You don't have to physically go to court but your document is filed in a court. So you get a form from the website. It's an application for consent orders. There's a handy little kit. You can fill that in and fill in the orders. Both parties sign it and then the judge or a registrar will will look at that document and approve it in chambers. Now, you mentioned the website, and just so that our listeners know, when we're talking about the website, we are talking about the website for, pin your ears back, it's a long one, the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia because we like to have handy names for our courts. Um, but it is, I'm just going to look this up as we go, it's the fcfcoa.gov.au. Uh, but if you start Googling away Federal Circuit and Family Court, soon enough it'll pop up. And as Liza says, there are actually some surprisingly handy resources on that uh, website, considering it is from the government, who are, of course, here to help us all. Just be careful, don't type F and C court, because <laughs> you might get a few different <laughs> responses. Well, yeah, well... And be careful when you're Googling at work, of course. Or in, or indeed, I mean, like moving to a slightly more serious note, be careful when you're Googling about these things um, if you're with a partner and you are contemplating leaving. Um, leaving you know, a, that electronic trail behind you can be a little bit of an, an interesting thing for them to find in the future. But, uh, I mean, I digress. Let's, let's go back to talking about parenting orders because there was another expression you used which was slightly different and it was recovery order. How's that different to a parenting order? Um, A recovery order is basically a type of parenting order usually. It's not, um, it doesn't have as many of the details of the parenting arrangements between the two of you. But what it does, it enables the police to try and get involved. And um, if you can't locate, for example, the other party, if you know that they've left but you don't know where they've gone or you know where they are, the police, um, what you do is you get an order from the court which authorises the police to go around and to essentially what it says, recover that child for you. Right. So you'd need a parenting order as part of that? You don't always have to, but it is advisable because so the you court... Could, you could apply for a parenting order at the same time as... You would, yes. Yeah, that's, that would be yeah. something I don't think we've spoken about before. Yeah, we've, you'd, you'd, have, um, you'd make your application because the court needs to know that the child is going to be in the best... It's the best interest for the child to be with you, for that child to be with you... Um, and so that's why the court will want to see that there's an, at least an application on foot for parenting order and they've got some evidence to say, okay, we're not throwing the kid from this place and, and putting it into a worse situation. Yeah, so the, the, the court's certainly going to want evidence, which is going to mean you know, for you as a parent, you're going to have to explain in a written document 
which is it's, it's a sworn statement which we call an affidavit, but it's really just your story and your facts and why you say the children need to come back to you under the recovery order and why they should live with you. And I suppose one of the things that you might ask the court to think about is that the other parents just up sticks and gone, as we said earlier. So could they be trusted to remain there and therefore should the kids come to live with you until those long-term arrangements are worked out? But it's very difficult when you're dealing with small children, especially in my experience, because they might need their primary carer and, you know, we live in the 21st century, but very often that's still mum in those, year, in those early years for kids, uh, which means the fathers can feel um, conflicted between obviously wanting the children to have their primary care, but also wanting to be near them and to have that involvement in their lives. So it's very much a balancing exercise with recovery orders, potentially including that the, the miscreant, the person that's gone, having to come back, but then the children still remaining in their care, which can be a, a confronting thing for the other parent to deal with sometimes. The other thing to remember too is that you don't always need to just run off and get a recovery order. Um, apply a bit of common sense here and do what you can do in terms of um, making contact, trying to make contact with them, try and have a conversation with them. See, look at it from their perspective. Why are they withholding this, this child from you? What are their concerns? Don't necessarily just assume that they're doing it to, as of, out of spite or for revenge tactics. Um, you'd be surprised that a lot of people don't actually do things like that for those reasons. They usually have a, a, a much more innocent explanation for it. Usually it's a fear of something. So sometimes the better thing to do is to have a bit of a chat to them and see if you can get hold of them or if you can talk to some of their friends or their family. Yeah. Assuming that there's no DV orders in place or anything like that, but have a chat to them and say, "Look, what are you what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of if I relocate? What are you afraid of if I stay here? Or why what is the what is the problem here? What can we try and do? Mm. Because remember that when you are a parent, you're a parent forever. It doesn't end when they're eighteen. So you, whatever you're going through at this point in time in terms of disagreements about location, you need to try and Bring that back and look at the bigger picture. You're a parent for life. You're going to have to try and come to some sort of resolution because people are going to want to move about and we're seeing a lot more relocation cases. I think partly because you know, there's so much more flexibility with everyone's work. Everyone can work remotely. You don't have to work in a big city anymore. Yeah, and all the, all the new experiences that we had through COVID telling us that and suddenly the borders come down and I think there's there's been a an upsurge in people wanting to try and live other lifestyles in different places around the world. So. That's right. And so so people are going to, you know, you don't want to think that a parenting order is a jail sentence, that until the child says, um, is 18, that you can't um, relocate, you can't move because you're beholden to what the other party says. Now, that shouldn't necessarily be the case. If you can open your mind and try and think of it from the other side's perspective and at least try and, um, rather than make demands of the other person, um, perhaps let them in. Let them in and explain to them why you're wanting to do these things. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Sometimes people just say, oh, okay then. And you mentioned uh, a short while ago as well about trying the non-court option, um, except for when there are domestic violence issues at, at play. And if there are... Um, 
That doesn't mean that you won't be able to make those approaches, but it means that you will need to go through a solicitor so that you, you won't be perceived as being um, harassing or in breach of those orders. So tread carefully. If there is one of those around, just get some professional advice before you do anything. But usually the non-court approach, with, with everything in family law really, is the best approach. If you've got into a court situation where you've, you've got senior judicial registrars and judges and family consultants and, and all the world of the court around you, to some extent, you've already lost. You know, um, as Ambrose B.S. said about litigation, you know, to, to win is a disaster. Uh, it's just, can we find a pathway using third parties and sometimes professional third parties like mediators? Um, there is, I mean, we talked about the government's website. The government have um, a raft of people who are approved to mediate in children's cases and and they have the very friendly and easy to remember name of family dispute resolution practitioners. Uh, so that's the kind of person that you would need. Now, it's a bit of a mouthful, um, but it's a person who can help bring people together. And they can do these things by telephone, they can do them by Zoom or by Microsoft Teams and video. You don't have to see your ex by mediating. You can just go through that third-party process and try and work out some arrangements that are going to enable the, the kids to have their best outcome. Sometimes, you know, brutally, the person who has been le- relocated away from, um, and I won't jump to light speed and say it's always dad because it isn't, but quite often it's the father that is the person who doesn't have the day-to-day care of the children. They'll be feeling pretty hurt. They'll be feeling pretty upset. So it's working through a process, preferably outside of court, so that they can still have that meaningful relationship, that they can still have you know, extensive contact with the children, extensive time over holidays, special days, arrangements, and all sorts of involvement so far as they can. Um, now, of course, we live in, you know, what is it, the huge continent that's also the largest island in the world and all of those things. Uh, I used to live in a much smaller island, of course, as you probably pick up, but um, relocation in Australia, that can be meaning big flights. We can be talking, you know, long distances on planes, you know, many, many hours between where the children are and where the the other parent is. So it's about engaging with as much technology as possible. It's about thinking through what practical arrangements might work. So we have, you know, other organisations that can help, like uh, Relationships Australia, the Family Relationship Centres of of our blessed government, of course. Um, So... And there's lots of private mediators out there, and your, your, your local family law solicitor will be able to help point you in the right direction of the right kind of mediation service, or if there are DV elements, then they can help um, coordinate that for you. And then with, um, with a good win behind you, you might be able to re- arrange some kind of long-term deal where you and the other parent can set out those arrangements. They don't have to be in a parenting order either, do they? There's another way of setting out your... Um, your parenting arrangements, and that's a plan. Yeah, parenting plans. Well, mm. what are your thoughts on those? I don't. I don't think they're worth the paper they're written on. Um, if you're going to stick to a, that's an not agreement, legal advice, of course. It's just none of this <laughs> is legal advice. This that's is right. just all us having a bit of a chat about some of the relocation, some of the family law issues we see all the time. But um, parenting plans. Oh, you've got two people. They're either going to stick to an agreement or they're not. Mm. And if you've got it in writing or if you've got it verbally, if they're going to stick to it, they'll stick to it. If they don't, well, you really can't enforce it. No, it's like the honesty box when you're watching no. the car driving away with a pun out of mangoes, yeah. isn't it? So, um, no, if you, if you have any doubt about having to the need to enforce 
this agreement, this deal that you strike with your ex, mm. um, it needs to be a parenting order. That's where there's been elements of mistrust, I think. Look, I, I do think there's still a place for a parenting plan, but relocation cases, it's probably not the Definitely one. Definitely not. You need something no. that can be shown to schools, to hospitals, to doctors, to the other person. You know, well, they don't even wrapped cut Wrapped around a baseball bat, metaphorically speaking. Police aren't even interested in a parenting plan. They're always only no. interested in a parenting order. So if you're wanting to show the police for something, uh, some, some of the issues that have been going on and saying, no, I need some help, mm. well going to help out because it's just a parenting plan so if a court let's say that you know one parent has you know, mum's gone off with little johnny and, and little janie and disappeared off out to whoop whoop where her folks live dad's feeling fairly aggrieved um not being able to get any traction through third parties or a mediation there's no domestic violence it's just a you know a breakdown in the relationship and, and the one parent wants to go off and get the support from family which you can completely understand but that parent needs to go to court. They're saying, look, they could have a much better life here and around here where we maybe have more of an infrastructure and where they've been living for all of their lives. So what kind of considerations is a court going to have you know, when it looks at you know, what sort of things it's going to need? What will it think about? Well, you want a relocation order? Will you get one? The best interest of the child is the number one um, consideration. So well, we use that expression a lot in we family do, law, don't we? We do, and you're going to hear that a lot because we're <laughs> always talking about what's in the best interest of the child. And I know that some of you people out there are going to be saying, "Well, what about me?" Yeah, you know, they always said, "Happy wife, happy life." What about happy child, happy wife, or happy mum, happy child? But unfortunately, this is the system that we've got, and we do need to put the child. Um, well, it's unfortunate for those who think otherwise, but I think it's a good reason to have the best interest of the child being um, the paramount consideration. It's not just about the best interest of the child, although that's often referred to as the, no. the paramountcy principle when we come to how do we decide what parenting order should be made and a relocation order, sorry, not a, not a relocation order, that doesn't exist. We all know that. A recovery order is just a species of parenting order to all intents and purposes. It's that's saying right. these are going to be the interim arrangements for the, for the child, even if that means grabbing the children via the arm of the police and putting them back into the care of the parent. So parenting orders, yes, the big thing is the best interest of a child. But in the unique circumstance when somebody has relocated, then what's going on with the parents is going to be relevant, isn't it? That's right. So little things like um, where the parents are actually living and what is whether they've been enrolled in a school, how far along have they gone down this path in this new um, place that they're in? Have they enrolled the kids? Have they got their support networks already set up? Have they purchased a property? Right, so yeah. so the length of time since somebody's relocated is going to be really a, quite important. So if you, if you want to recover your children um, and you leave it for 12 months, it's unlikely that an order is going to be made because that passage of time, the children have become most likely settled in their new environment. Yeah. So whether it be schools, um, friends. And the younger the child, of course, the bigger part of their life it is that any lengthy time is. So they'll be well settled in a new life then, perhaps. They will. But on the flip side to that, you could also argue that for a younger child, a really young young child who isn't, for example, at primary school age, hmm. may be a little bit more resilient and may not notice it. They will definitely miss the time with the other parent. That's a given. But it may be a little bit easier perhaps for them to if they haven't 
started schooling um, to simply just slot back into wherever they need to be, whatever so, the court considers is appropriate. So, young, yeah, that's an interesting point. So very young children um, are likely to be less affected by, you know, having a slightly peripatetic lifestyle, if I can call it that, for a, for a short period of time, Move, you know, live in one place, live in another place. Young, very young children aren't going to react to that in a social sense. They won't have connections and friends at school. They won't be in part of sports and after-school act, after activities and things like that. They won't have redeveloped a new network to be ripped away from if they're very young. But, but once they're in school age, yeah. um, they're going to have friends. As you said, they're going to have sporting networks. They're going to, they're going to have career aspirations, particularly teenagers. They're going to have maybe part-time jobs even. And I know that we'll get to the whole um, later teenage problem mm. um, in another episode, but... Realistically, um, you you have to look at it from all of the circumstances. So, has the has the the um, parent that's relocated have they repartnered? What are yeah. their situate? What's their situation? What's the financial um, benefit or detriment to each party in in each of those places that they're living? So they're the sorts of things, and of course the the big one which I've skimmed over, which is safety. Yeah, if there is a safety issue. Um, then realistically, safety has to come first. Um, yeah, that's that, that the RIA case, or the ANA, I think it was. Um, the, the court talks about you don't have to ignore the situation of the parents. It was courts talking backwards speak, and the, what they mean is you've got to think about the situation of the parents. But when you've done that, if there is an issue that comes into conflict with the parents' desires and needs and their situation, with the best interests of the welfare of the kids. The latter is going to trump the kids. Welfare will always be the trump card there. That's right. I've had plenty of cases where, the, for example, the mum um, has suffered emotionally and mentally when she's been in a particular environment. Um, and so it was, in fact, it actually it impacted her ability to parent when she was in that state so that it meant that whilst it wasn't a direct um, consideration of what's in the best interest of the child... It was somewhat indirect in that she was that her um, health impacted her ability to parent, and therefore that impacted the best interests considerations. Yeah, so it's going to be a weighing up then by the court of all of those. So it's kinds a of balancing factors. act, and, yeah. and it's always going to be one. Um, and a lot of people say it's a he says she says, but there really isn't any objective, independent evidence in these sorts of cases, which is the unfortunate thing. So no, no. it is important make sure that you cover as many um, considerations before you go and file your document because if you're missing a few no doubt the other party is going to counter jump, those jump and, on that. And, and I suppose what you can do if, if you're the it doesn't matter which side of, of the argument you are if you want to call it an argument which parent you are whether you want the children to come back to you or whether you want to stay away or go away using external experts might be the right way forward as well. We, we, we talked a little bit about uh, mediators and, the, and those marvellous FUDBs, the Family Dispute mm -hmm. Resolution Practitioners. Um, but there are also other people out there. You've got psychologists, you've got social workers, and in, in the context of the family courts, you know, almost every parenting case is going to have a family consultant write a report at some stage. And those are the family reports. Now, Relocation cases are just another species of parenting case. So that family report process is going to be super important, isn't it? It is, and it's really important that parents um, prepare themselves for that process. 
Um, you need to be honest, but you can't go in there as a basket case and just, <laughs> you know, just speak, uh, you know, and about all the things that you hate about the other party because that's not actually going to help your case. Um, I mean, it's not directly relevant either. I mean, you might not like your ex very much at all, but it does you no favours in terms of co-parenting in the future if you're, you know, for your child if you are going to be constantly bad-mouthing or holding that antipathy towards the other person. It's just like having a hot coal in your pocket the whole time. And that's the thing. So what the family report writer is wanting to see is, is how you're able to parent and how you, what's stopping you from being able to co-parent with the other party and also what barriers, and in particular when you're t- dealing with a relocation case, it's what barriers that are relevant to the location of the parties is is preventing this from occurring and why is it that one party is going to need to move and yeah. what effect is it actually going to have and how are these kids going to actually handle that move and that decision? How are the kids going... Because that's an opportunity for the, um, the kids to have their voice heard is through a family report because the family consultant will often speak to the children and they'll watch the children interact with each parent. So it's really important that you um, just go in there in that and have a, an open mind um, and let the process... Um, do its thing. So so for the uninitiated, a family report, how does that come about and what's involved in the process that we're talking about physically? I mean, well, okay, we've got a court case. Somebody says there's going to be a family report. What do we do yeah, next? So, we, so we'll either get an order for it from the court um, and that's where parties have agreed and they'll agree on the actual family report writer. The family report writer will have an intake session mm-hmm. with both of the parties um, individually don't have to sit there. It's not like you're sitting on a couch in one of those um, rom-coms with the, you know, mm. on o- opposite ends of the couch Although, facing each other. out of fairness, I have a lot of clients that come back to me after these saying, I was sat next to my ex-in-laws. It was terrible. It was awful. Usually <laughs> so it you does don't. happen. It does happen, does but happen. usually you won't have to sit Sorry, everybody. even see them or sit near them. Um, and then the next time is that the, the family report writer will want to speak with the child or the children and see how the children interact. And the family report writer is usually a counsellor or a psychologist who has that expertise and that experience, and they can usually tell whether or not a child's going to be able to cope with the the move or not cope with the move or what other considerations are relevant that parents should be thinking about. They're effectively... um, They're approved by the Attorney-General's office, aren't they? They they all have to be recognised family consultants before they can prepare a report. That's right. And then it's that report... And some of them are short, but most of them are very long. Oh, the reports. I thought mm. you were talking about the people. Uh, no, 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 no. We're not talking about basketball uh, players. You know, I won't talk about Jeremy Hardy, which just talked about... I'm, I'm going to digress about basketball in a second. Just measure them and let the, the tallest team win. It's just going to save you all that pain of having to watch well, I'm basketball. Pretty sure, I'm, I'm pretty sure that... Um, There'd be a lot of people out there who have been through this experience. Who yeah, I had to sit through many basketball games as a child. It was oh, you're, still, you're still talking about basketball. Excellent. <laughs> not, out, not out of preference, just out of bitter childhood experience. I'm talking about family report writers. Waste of opportunity to play football. But there you go. Yeah, there we go. And then had, here it is. Um, for everyone listening, that is the very first <laughs> reference to football. It it's, will not be the last. It won't be the last. <laughs> I apologise on behalf of my colleague that um, there will be umpteen... And I do mean the beautiful game by that. Um, you know, I, I was com- I was compelled. Australians. Ouch. I was compelled to play um, you know, egg chasing 
you know, and and what was it, bum sniffing? Is in other words, rugby union at school. Oh, um, God. And then, of course, it, out, out of pleasure, you would play football, you know, calcio, soccer, whatever. Beautiful game. Anyway, I take so basketball players. Basketball. Not players. even viewers. No, no, <laughs> nobody would be daft enough to, to watch us. You know, what is it? My mother said, "I have a beautiful face for radio." So yeah. there you go. Um, let's digress and get back to that family yeah. report. Yes. Of all of those, those super tall family report writing people. So the process is a little bit like this, as I understand it. You'll get your appointment dates come through, uh, and that'll come through from your solicitor usually. You'll be sent off to go and meet with the family report writer at their offices, which might be not far from the court, or it could be near to where you live, but it'll be a professional office. The other person will be there that day. You probably won't be expected to interact with them, but sometimes... If there's no domestic violence, the report writer might want to see how you talk to one another in front of the kids and how you actually get on and can you communicate. It's all relevant. And then this ghastly long report, not people, yeah. is prepared, including uh, that weighing up of the considerations. What does mum want? What does dad want? Or what does the, what does the other parent want? And a conclusion or recommendations are put to the judge. And that's, as we said before, it's almost the only opportunity for a child to have their wishes heard yeah, that's as to right. what they would like. Um, not that that's determinative because, you know, if, if, if you were to ask, you know, seven-year-old me, what do you want? I'd probably say, well, chocolate, chocolate for breakfast, chocolate for lunch and, you know, and telly until midnight. Yeah. Not necessarily things that would have been appropriate for me. No. And I think, though, with the, um, with the children's wishes and the children's views in a family report, we all know that... Um, children are going to say whatever they feel like saying. Um, but that's not to say that you as a parent should be telling them or prepping them in any way before you take them to a family report um, interview because you can um, influence them and you may do it with good intentions. I'm saying just be honest and all that sort of stuff, but you may cause some kind of... Um, anxiety about the whole process and their voice may not be heard because they may get too nervous or there may be some issue, other issue that goes on. Mm. And I know that you, you see this in your cases, as do I, which is we'll have um, very different versions of what the children are saying according to which parent is saying it. Children very often, especially young children, uh, will mirror what they think that parent wants to hear and then that gets reported as evidence and it isn't Really, it's uh, you know it's a desire to be loved. It's a desire to be to be wanted and to do the right thing for that parent. That's really a very difficult balancing act for a family report writer to try to discern the genuine wishes of the children, and and that's exceptionally difficult. I'm am super glad I'm not a family report writer. Um, and my hats off to those that, those out there that are, but you know, not not all of them. But I won't write their names down. Well, you can in fact get a family report though. Just um you don't have to go to court to get an actually a, a family report. You can approach people who do write family reports because sometimes, as I said before, you don't always have to go to court. Um, what you can do is you can arrange for a private family report and just amongst yourselves, um, you get your lawyer to speak to the, um, his or her lawyer and arrange for a family report. It can be later used if you wish for it to be used um, as evidence, but it's not necessary you can just use it as your guiding it, principle if you're, I suppose, no, sufficiently child-focused. It's no different to if you were um, selling your house or, sorry, if you were in, 
you know, needing to sell or anything like that and you're trying to work out what the value of your property is and both of you say, well, I think it's worth $1 million. I think it's $1.5. So what do you do? You go off and get an independent valuation, don't mm-hmm. you? Say, so, well, I think it's going to be one point, and then they'll come in and say, I think it's 1.25 or whatever it is. I've got three children. How much do you think they'd be worth? <laughs> not valuing children, <laughs> not today. No, 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 no. I'm selling them all for medical experiments anyway before they turn 18. So Yeah. So, <laughs> so in Sorry, terms boys, of I'm not really. Not today. Not today. Um, so in terms of the family report process, though, you can still you know, choose if you can both agree and say, well, look, we need some independent assistance here. Let's get someone to prepare a report and to speak to both of you um, and speak to the kids and see where we can go from there. And, and I suppose in, the, in that greater context that we were looking at at the start of this episode about relocation, a family report could be really helpful in being able to explore other ideas around just you know live half the time with mum, live half the time with dad, but talking about some of that more quality time, about holidays and about working through some of those practical issues too. If you can raise above the argument with your ex and think about the kids, it might help you to get some insight but and an opportunity to explore getting those meaningful times sort of locked in for the future. You are, as my late dad used to say, you're the custodians of their helpless years and you hope to become friends with your children in the fullness of time, but you've got to put their their needs above your own desires. You know, they're, they're not property. You, you have to develop a sense of insight as to what's right for your children and sometimes that can be difficult to hear. And, it, and you're right. I think using a neutral a family report writer or a, you know, a third-party media to try and get that through it can be a very helpful process, but it's not easy. It's terribly difficult for some people. Um, you mentioned, uh, I'll just, I'll witter on about this this case that I recall from a few years ago, about later teenage um, views when it comes to relocation. There was a case in that hit the High Court a few years ago. I think it was Bondel Monte was the name. And it was very, very late-aged um, teenage boys, actually, that were living in um, very affluent circumstances. 17-year-old? Yeah, there was a 17-year-old, and I think a 16-year-old, or nigh on 16 and they were both very keen to continue living in the uh, very affluent lifestyle in New York with their dad. But the Australian courts um, required them to come back to Australia for their mm. parenting arrangements to be determined. So even when you are you know, dealing with ex- you know, almost adults, this court still has that jurisdiction to say, no, no, we're not going to allow that relocation to go ahead. We're going to bring you back here and we will decide. Now, I mean... Good luck you know, if, if your teenagers are anything like mine. Good luck in trying to manhandle right. them onto a plane. But you, know, you can make orders and you can you can sit in your um, highly elevated and much esteemed and respected place on the high court and make these wonderful orders. But try and enforcing that? Yeah, that would have been interesting, I'm sure. Yeah, I can't even get my child to eat white potato. <laughs> it's easy. Just deep fry and call it a chip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, look, we've talked quite a lot about relocation reco- and recovery orders. Um, I guess, you know, in summation of some of that, my take on it is that you can up sticks and go and you can, you know, you can seek forgiveness afterwards. If, if it's exigent, you know, if it's really important that you just go, that's an option for you. And if there are no court orders, then you know, both parents have essentially the same rights at law to start with, uh, which is you know, equal in terms of responsibility at least. Or you can try and negotiate an outcome at the start with the other person saying, hey, look, I really need to move back to 
near where my family support network is and can we work this out? No solution is the right way for every two for two people. Every set of circumstances is completely different. So pick up the phone to your, your local family solicitor if you need some guidance around that. Use people like Relationships Australia. Um, I'd shy away from face group, Facebook groups and Google and all of that for advice because you're never going to get anything apart from a very um, one-eyed perspective about what you should or shouldn't do. And whatever else you do, you know, if I give a client any advice, it's this. It's just have your child in mind when you're making decisions. Think about their future and be supportive of them. So that's our conversation around relocation. It's all about weighing up options for the court and it's about trying to take a very child-focused approach for the parents involved. And uh, look, if you are thinking about relocating, then feel free to you know, drop us a note on the website for this podcast and you know, come back to us with any comments that you might have or if you have any experiences that you wanted to share and we can talk about those the next time. Thanks for listening to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. If you want to hear more of our episodes, you'll find us wherever you find your podcasts on all good news.